0: Matthew chapter 5, just very short passage of Scripture today, verses 3 through 4. Again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your Spirit upon this, your Word, and make it be for us the Word of life that we might be people of, Of life. And now, O God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O God our Redeemer, through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's astounding to me every time that this happens, and it hasn't happened all that many times uh, throughout my however, 23, almost 24 years of ministry. It's happened more in the last year than it ever has happened before. Uh, but those times when we don't have, maybe not able to have live worship on one Sunday and, and, uh, and then we have to, uh, you know, suspend a Wednesday evening as well, I almost feel like I forget how to do this every time we have one, we have one of those. And so that's been my, that's been my experience today for certain. So if if I would if I were to ask you what would make you happy, what would be your answer? If I, if if you wanted to truly be happy, how, how would you how would you answer that? What what would make you truly happy? Well, some of us, some of us might answer that uh, happy are those who live in Hawaii, especially the last couple of weeks. Happy are those who live in Hawaii who live in Hawaii. Happy are those who have the most toys, the most stuff. Happy are those who have the most stuff. Or or happy are those who are the most successful. Or happy are those who have the most power. Or, Or maybe something else. Jesus said something that was very different. Very, very different than what our culture says is Happiness, He said, blessed are those, happy are those, joyful are those who are poor in spirit. The not so subtle cultural message is that happiness comes when you reach the top. When you have the most toys, when you're the most su- successful, when you're the most powerful. We are convinced that we must keep up with the Joneses that appearance is everything, that it doesn't matter who you hurt in your struggle to get to the top. The unfortunate reality is that so many of us, so many of us here have discovered that when you follow our culture's blueprint for success and happiness, you most often don't find happiness, but instead you find stress and insignificance. That's what happens when you, when you strive after all of these things, when you try to find happiness in all of these other things. Well, today we are beginning a, a, a new sermon series during this season of Lent, and we are looking at, at what's called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, it was the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' longest teaching that we have uh, in Scripture. There are lots of... Um, Lots of theories about what this sermon is. In Matthew's gospel, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke's gospel, it's known as the Sermon on the Plain. Um, but what we do know, I mean, again, there are lots of theories. Some people believe that these were two different sermons that Jesus preached uh, because the, you'll find differences between Matthew's version and Luke's version. And certainly we find that especially especially in, in the Beatitudes. We find really pretty significant differences between what what Matthew reported and what Luke reported. Some have said these were two different sermons that Jesus preached. Others have said that these are just two different perspectives on one sermon that Jesus preached. Others have suggested that these were, this was a number of different sermons that Jesus preached and, and the gospel writers compiled all of these, all of these different sermons, or all of these different teachings, into one into one setting. We're not exactly sure, but we do know that there are differences between Matthew's version and Luke's version. So, for example, if for example, and and, and it may be that our um, our beatitude today really is at the very at the very beginning. It it really shows the stark contrast between Luke's version and Matthew's version. Luke's version simply says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Matthew's version says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Some have suggested that, again, these were two different messages, maybe two different sermons, maybe that Matthew was adding to, uh, to Luke's version. I, I suspect that what had gone on was that Matthew was clarifying Luke's version. I think maybe clarifying Luke's version. These, these beatitudes seem to be arranged in some sort of progression some sort of progression. I believe, I believe that it begins with being poor in spirit. That's where, the, that's where the Christian life comes. That's where a life with God begins. It begins with being poor in spirit. Poverty of the spirit is the only way, the only way to initially enter into the kingdom of God. Again, again, Matthew's version began, it seems like it Clarifies Luke's version a bit. So as we begin to look at this beatitude, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." There is a biblical character that I believe that I believe uh, really lives out this poverty of spirit. I mean, there are a number of a number of different characters, but just outside of Jesus, the character that I'm reminded of most often when I read this, when I read this beatitude is Moses himself. Moses, the Old Testament patriarch. Moses, the one who was, who was, who was born into a, uh, into a culture that was literally being, in, had been enslaved for generations upon generations. Moses, who was born into a family that was trying their very best to spare their only son, and because the the um, e- Egyptian Pharaoh had had said that all the Hebrew boys would be would be killed, and his mother, you remember the story, his mother saved him by putting him in a basket and put him in the Nile River, and it just so happened to be that the that the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, found this young little boy, and she took him home and raised him for himself but the Lord heard the cry of the Hebrew people and he called Moses he called up Moses and said Moses I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell Pharaoh to, to let my people go and do you remember what Moses response what his response was his response was this oh Lord I am I'm not eloquent I'm not eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. But God gets angry with Moses. Do you remember that? God gets angry with Moses. Why? Is it, 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 it is not because of his humble assessment of his own abilities, but instead... God was angry at Moses because of Moses' lack of trust in God's strength. You see, God wasn't angry because Moses didn't think much of himself. He wasn't angry because Moses had, a, had an assessment of his gifts and graces that, well, you know, he recognized that he wasn't the most gifted person. There were, In fact, his brother Aaron was even more gifted than he was, and he recognized it. God's anger did not burn against Moses because he wasn't gifted. God's anger burned against Moses because Moses didn't have faith in God. Listen, listen to what God replied. Who made man's mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, go. I will help you to speak and will teach you what to say. So what's the biblical solution when a person is paralyzed by a sense of guilt or unworthiness or unusefulness? I believe that it is not higher self-esteem. Higher, increasing someone's self-esteem is not the answer to someone who has, may have low self-esteem or a sense of guilt or a sense of unworthiness or a sense of uselessness. But that's what our culture tells us, that we just need higher self-esteem. And God knows we have plenty of people who have been told that they are nice enough, they are smart enough, and doggone it, people like them, to quote the old Saturday Night Live sketch. Or to quote uh, the, the big purple dinosaur, you are special. We have an entire, an entire generation of people who have been told that they are special all their lives. And they have an incredibly high self-esteem. But guess what? They still become paralyzed by their guilt and their uselessness and their unworthiness. God did not say to Moses, stop putting yourself down. You are somebody. You are eloquent. No, that's not what God said. That's not the biblical way. What God said was, stop looking at your own unworthiness and uselessness and look at me. I made the mouth. I will be with you. I will help you. I will teach you what to say. Look at me and live. The answer, the biblical answer to the paralysis of low self-esteem is not high self-esteem. It is sovereign grace. Did you get that? Let, Let that sink in just a moment. The biblical answer to low self-esteem, if I can put it in these terms, the biblical answer to being the poor in spirit and recognizing that we are dust and to dust we shall return is not higher self-esteem. It is God's sovereign grace. You see, Moses Moses realized he was not powerful enough, smart enough, faithful enough, faithful enough, talented enough to do this on his own, and that is not always such a bad thing. In fact, I believe that it's a necessity in our lives to recognize that we are not smart enough. We are not hardworking enough. We are not good enough to do this thing on our own. I believe that's poverty of spirit we must recognize that we stand in need of god's grace each and every single day but it's hard to admit our poverty of spirit isn't it we like to rely upon our own gifts and our own finances and our own power and our own authority and our and our own control we will do almost anything to not admit our spiritual poverty enough to earn at least some of God's love we'll will say things i mean we'll admit that we are that we are sinful but then we'll follow it up with things like well you, but, but everybody sins oh god i'm I, i'm i'm a sinner but but god i didn't mean to i'm a sinner but well no one is perfect you see we can't even often we can't even confess truly confess we always have we always have a, a, a second statement there that, well, we're not to blame really. But when we come and truly come with our poverty of spirit, well then we'll begin to understand and recognize God's sovereign grace. So what does it mean? What is this being poor in spirit? I, I, I typically don't talk about the original Greek language and things like that. But, but here's, I think this is a, a really important part of, of understanding what Jesus is talking about when he talks about being poor in spirit. In, in Greek, there are two different words for being poor. There are two different words for being poor. One of those is in, um, is, means someone who is, the, who is the working poor. It's the first word. penes. Is the, is the word for that. Those, uh, it's a word that describes a person who has, to, who has to work for a living. Who has to work for a living. It's people who, who, who serve their own needs with their own hands. It describes the working person, the person who is not rich, but also a person who is not completely destitute. It's poverty that demands diligent daily labor to earn a living. It's someone who doesn't, who doesn't have a stockpile, but doesn't have a savings account, but just simply has to work every day to meet their own needs. That's, 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 the, that's the working poor. But that's not the word that Jesus used. It's not the word that, that Jesus used. The other word is patakos, used in this beatitude, which... It, which which describes absolute and abject poverty. Absolute and abject poverty. It's associated with pitosain, which means to couch or to cower like a beggar. It describes the poverty that is beaten to its knees. It carries the classic idea of begging out of shame. This is not a con man here. This is not someone who, who can work and probably does work on the side and is always looking for a handout. No, this is someone who absolutely is so ha, has, has, has no resources whatsoever. We're talking about a, a real, cowering, cringing, shrinking person, ashamed to have to beg but having no other choice. It's the person who has no answer to life. No answer to their physical needs other than to bow and to beg. This, 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 word, this word denotes the one who is who who sitting on the street corner covering their face. Literally, th- th- this denotes a person who, who, who is couching and cowering down and even, even covering their face and, and just simply with, with a handout asking, asking, pleading, pleading that, that someone might give them enough to get by. That's the kind of poverty of spirit that Jesus is, is talking about. Someone not that relies upon their own strength and their own goodness and their own religiosity. No, that's not what it is to be blessed By God. Those who are blessed by God are those who are cowering and couching and covering their face with their shame and their guilt and simply putting out a hand seeking God's grace. That's the kind of poverty of spirit that is blessed. Some understand these beatitudes. Some understand these Beatitudes as, as things that Jesus is calling for from us. And there, there may be a bit of that. As if these are just simply ethics that need to be lived out. Kind of like the Ten Commandments. By the way, I've never, I've never seen anyone uh, demand that we post the Beatitudes on public, on public buildings like we, like we post the Ten Commandments. I think it may not be a bad thing to do. I don't know that these are necessarily ethics that Jesus is commanding for us to have, but instead these are just simply, this is simply how it is in the kingdom of God. It's so vastly different than how it is here on earth. Here on earth, those who are, who are experiencing a poverty of spirit, those who are experiencing cowering and crouching before the Lord simply with 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 a begging hand out. They're seen as weak in the eyes of our culture, aren't they? We're seeing it more and more in our culture, by the way. People are looking at you and me as people who are so very weak. To be pitied, really. Religious people are to be pitied among all. But Jesus said, oh, no, we are not pitied. We are not to be pitied. Instead, we are blessed. Because we recognize that we can't do this thing on our own. We recognize, indeed, that we can never be good enough. We recognize that we, we, don't, we have nothing. We recognize that we are dust to dust we shall return. So to come before the Lord begins right there. Begins right there. We are called to be poor in spirit. Cowering. Crouching with our with our heads covered. Lord. Give me your grace. Would you bow with me? Lord, we come cowering and crouching A sense of guilt and unworthiness, and at times even uselessness. We come putting out our hands. Oh Lord, give us your grace. That's all we need your love. All we need is your forgiveness. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and give to us your grace. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.